it's interesting that you say that, Miguel, because obviously when we're talking about this new normal, we're actually like highlighting the significance and the shift from AI being an emerging technology to it becoming a fundamental component of our technological landscapes with its applications. What you've just mentioned here, obviously, in the personalization, the hyper personalization and the benefits almost being expected and integrated into various aspects of our lives. Now, in this instance, when you're talking about the hyper-personalization or the personalization offered by your own GPT, like Miguel's GPT, and you're suggesting that it's a personal agent to help you navigate through your life, do we really need a personal agent to navigate us through our lives? I mean, we're talking about this co-pilot. We're almost bringing technology into, as we've mentioned, the new normal, the integration of something that is a must in our daily lives. Like, yeah. Why do we need it? Do we need it? <laughs> yeah, that's a, no, that's a, that's a very good question. Like, why do we really need it? I mean, I believe is like many other technologies that we have that is not life or death. Like, it's not something that we must have, but it's something that is very helpful. Hi everyone, it's Lauren Hawker-Zaffer. Welcome back to Redefining AI, the tech podcast. Our episode today is called AI is the new normal. At this moment, I envision that many of us are questioning what does that mean exactly? So let's begin to shine some insight into our topic. So the rise of AI to becoming the new normal can be attributed to several factors, many of which do include advancements in machine learning, algorithms, the ability and the availability of large-scale data sets, increased computing power and the development, obviously, of sophisticated AI applications. Now, as AI continues to advance and demonstrate its potential, as we see it's being adopted in areas such as healthcare, finance, transportation, customer service, amongst many other with an ever-spreading reach. Now, the phrase reflects the ongoing trend of AI's integration into our daily lives. It also signifies the shifting landscape where AI technologies are no longer limited to specialised research projects or experimental endeavours, but are increasingly becoming part of mainstream applications and services. Now, as AI becomes more ubiquitous, the phrase AI, the new normal, encapsulates the idea that AI-powered solutions are expected, commonplace, and even taken for granted in various domains. Now, to explore the parameters of this, we have invited a guest on our show today who publicly broadcasts that AI is the new normal. Welcome, Miguel. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for the invitation. How are you today? Good, good. Pretty good. How are you? Yes, I'm uh, very well as well. It's summer. Well, summer's hit Europe, so everyone's a little bit hot and flustered, I think. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's to be expected that sort of summer, isn't it? It wouldn't be summer without that. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Miguel. Who are you and why have we invited you on to discuss this topic in particular, AI is the new normal? Yeah, so... My name is Miguel Fierro. I'm from Spain. I've done most of my career in Madrid, and then I spent around six years in London. And I worked in academia a little bit as a researcher uh, in robotics and machine learning. Then I funded two startups. And then after a while, I went to, to corporate, to Microsoft. I, I started in London, and then I was moved to Madrid, and I'm based in Madrid right now. 
And I guess, Lauren, the, this idea of AI is the new normal is because of my LinkedIn profile that there is a picture of me with, with that background. It was taken, I believe, in 2018 or something like that. 2019. Wow. AI is the new normal. 18, 19, 19, around, around that time. And I guess nowadays is more clear, particularly after everything that happened with, with chat GPT. But I believe that there is a very interesting process that has been going on for almost a decade. I think it started with the deep learning, with this famous AlexNet paper in 2012. That was when we saw a big increase in the capabilities uh, of AI. And it was something that I don't think people were expecting. It was instead of more complex mathematical methods or you know, some new discovery, it was basically using more data and, and more compute. That, that was interesting. And then something that we've been seeing afterwards is what some people call human parity. So AI is able to, to achieve human parity in some tasks or even surpass the human capability. The first one was in 2016 with ResNet. ResNet is a network that was a computer vision network. And, and it was a paper done by Microsoft that identified uh, pictures. And I remember I was at Microsoft. I just joined Microsoft. And it was very interesting to, to actually see that this network was able to identify these, these objects and animals, right? And then the following years, we start seeing other areas being surpassed, uh, speech recognition, uh, object detection, and, and well, some other areas. And now last, last year, I think it was, it was when I believe AI became known by, I would say, people outside the field, right? P people like, I don't know, like my mother, that she doesn't really know what I'm doing. She knows that I work at Microsoft, but if, if I if I ask her, what do I do? Like, she, she wouldn't know, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and now I show her a chat GPT and, and she was impressed, right? Like, wow, like I can ask this thing anything I want and, and it will answer. And you'll see people outside the field. You don't have to be an engineer, computer scientist. You you can work as a teacher in school or you can work in marketing and, and then suddenly you are using AI. So I think that was the, the, the big change. It's funny because I had this picture, A is the new normal, four years ago, something like that. But honestly, I didn't expect that we were going to go that fast. I mean, I think that obviously... A lot of what you've said there, there's there's a lot to unpack and there's certainly been the development, not only that you've mentioned that's happened in the last decade and not only the accessibility that chat GPT has made more prominent and visible in terms of who is able to access it and why someone would want to access it. But there's a lot of things that you've mentioned that adhere to components that I'd like to touch upon a little bit more. So as you're talking about 2018, 2019, obviously there was something in the space or your own identification with the space or the technologies that really made you say, oh, okay, well, actually I want to publicly promote that AI yeah. is the new normal. So what was that? Like why 2018? In 2019, did did you want to make that statement? I think it's kind of what you mentioned earlier that AI is no longer something 
like uh, the ball, uh, a scientific development, like something that happens in the lab, something that can be a product. And, you know, I actually come from academia and then I, I, I went to a, a product company like Microsoft. And this transition is taking a discovery that some researchers do in their lab and create a product of it is very, very difficult. It's a process that you need to align so many people, so many teams, technologies, supporting technologies. But in my opinion, there is fundamental uh, need that one needs to be able to create a product from a, a technology that, that comes from the lab, which is it needs to be useful. It needs to be utilized. It needs to solve a problem, right? Now, what happened is that the previous AI solutions they were not that useful, right? Like just just think about this ResNet network that we talked about uh, a few moments ago. Suddenly you have a network that is able to identify animals and, and objects. Uh, particularly this, this network was trained on, on something called ImageNet. Mm -hmm. It was a data set of a thousand animals and objects. You know, most people will be able to identify the objects, but not the animals. The animals were, there were like different breeds of dogs, of cats, of fish. Like you need to be an expert in, in dogs to be able to identify the different breeds of dogs, right? Like I wouldn't be able to do it, right? For example, yet this network is able to do it. It becomes useful. It's something that, you know, you can rely on. And again, same with ChatGPT. Why, why ChatGPT has been such a massive success and the other tens or hundreds of chatbots that came before people were not using that? Well, because they were not that useful, right? They didn't solve the problem very well. ChatGPT, uh, on the contrary, it solves the problem very well. It actually talks pretty well. It writes very good English. Actually, I'm not a native speaker. So, I will argue that ChatGPT uh, writes English better than me, mm -hmm. which is a good level, right? So this moment where you have a technology that it solves a problem, is useful, is when you can take something that is in the lab and create a product. Mm -hmm. So what are you specifically identifying as that problem per se? Like you've mentioned that it, it's become enjoyable and successful because it solves the problem or it solves a problem. What problem is it solving? I mean, the other chatbots didn't. And what do you foresee as the, the future of chatbots building upon this development as well? So I think the problem, the problem that was being solved is really understanding what was the intent of the user, right? Like I can talk to ChatGPT right now and it's, it's going to understand what I mean. You know, I can use different words, different ways or angles or, or, or ways of, of saying things and it will really understand what, what I want. I don't think that was available before. And that, that's interesting because I believe that ChatGPT and the similar versions of, of ChatGPT like Bing Chat or mm. or you know others actually made obsolete all the other chatbots that have been developed for, for a long time, right? So I believe that that was a very, very interesting uh, jump in terms of performance. And then the, to, to the second question that you ask is, how, how do I see the future of, of this? I believe that the future is going to have, uh, we're going to have a personalized version of ChatGPT. And this is actually something easy to do. 
because you can, in a similar way that ChatGPT and, and, and GPT-4, GPT-3.5 is fine-tuned on, on some data, it, it is this, use this uh, reinforcement learning from human feedback that basically kind of constrain a little bit the, the knowledge that you want the agent or the bot to say. Well, you can use your personal data. And basically what you do is you, you can upload uh, documents about you. You can write things that you like, or maybe you can plug it to some of your social networks, for example. And then the system will parse that information and it will create your personal ChatGPT. Like it will be like Miguel ChatGPT, something like that. And that will be your personal agent that will help you to, to navigate through life. Uh, there is one concept that Microsoft mentioned a lot, which is these copilots. Mm-hmm. These copilots, and and I think this this wording is is very very powerful because it's actually a copilot. It's, it's an agent that is going to help you. At the end, you you are the person that is going to drive your life, and and you're going to make the final decisions. This is something that is going to to facilitate your life. Is is just another tool. And it's interesting that you say that, Miguel, because obviously when we're talking about this new normal, we're actually like highlighting the significance and the shift from AI being an emerging technology to it becoming a fundamental component of our technological landscapes with its applications, what you've just mentioned here, obviously, and the personalization, the hyper-personalization, and the benefits almost being expected and integrated into various aspects of our lives. Now, in this instance, when you're talking about the hyper-personalization or the personalization offered by your own GPT, like Miguel's GPT, and you're suggesting that it's a personal agent to help you navigate through your life, do we really need a personal agent to navigate us through our lives? I mean, we're talking about this co-pilot. We're almost bringing technology into, as we've mentioned, the new normal, the integration of something that is a must in our daily lives. Like, yeah. why do we need it? Do we need it? <laughs> yeah, that's a, no, that's a, that's a very good question. Like, why do we really need it? I mean... I believe is like many other technologies that we have that is not life or death, like it's not something that we must have, but it's something that is very helpful. So for example, I'm, I'm old enough to have lived or have traveled without uh, Google Maps, for example. And I remember that, you know, I did a, a there is a, a, a nice trail I did it in the north of Spain through the mountains. And I was with my map, you know, like this, two, 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 two. and it was kind of difficult. Actually, you know, I lost myself. We were walking from, you know, one city to another and it was pretty difficult. I lost myself and actually I lost the group because of me a couple of times. And, you know, now I don't, I don't use that. And actually, I don't think it's easy right now to find a map. You know, it's not something that is not, is not easy. Again, you can still... You can still use this. You don't have you need Google Maps, right, to 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 go from one place to another. But it is it is very very helpful. It'll save you time. I think the idea of ChatGPT and all these AI solutions, it is it is similar, right? And the reason, the fundamental reason why all these technologies is so important is because. Uh, if you consider the um, evolution of mankind and, and particularly the 
the reason why we are so rich, we are more and more rich uh, in comparison to 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, right? The main reason for that is productivity. Like if you if you ask economists, what they say is that the, the reason why we live better is because we improve our, our productivity, right? And one example is, is the Roman Empire, right? Like the Roman Empire, what did they do? They built these, these roads. So it was easier to go from one place to another. And it's just building a road. That actually increased massively the productivity. So we became richer. Now, what is AI? It's exactly that. It's a way to increase massively our productivity. So that's why everybody that, that made an investment in AI, like all these big companies, that's what they were looking at. They were saying the reason, this is the fundamental reason, the reason why we want, we're going to invest a lot in AI is because we hope that AI becomes a product, which is what happened. And we know that AI is the best way to increase our productivity. And if you have the tool to increase the productivity, productivity equals wealth. So that's what they, they did the investment. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting analogy. And I think if we look at it from the perspective of AI being a tool, there is some benefits and challenges that do come with that productivity increase or the acceleration of productivity, the enhancement of productivity. One price could be possibly the requirement for even more data. I mean, if we just look at back at the example that we've spoken about, about hyper-personalization, I mean, that there's a huge requirement for the input of personal data. Yeah. Do you see this as being a price to pay for the enhancement or the accessibility of increased productivity? Or do you see it as something else? Like, what's your stance towards that? Yeah. And we're looking at maybe the enablement that data provides in relationship with AI and productivity. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that, obviously, if you want a personalized service, you somehow need to explain people what you like. It's, it's kind of, you know, you think about if you go to a store, your neighborhood store and you want a personalized service you want that when you when you enter the the store some people say hello miguel how are you how has how's your wife how's your kids like because you need to tell this person that first of all your name is miguel right like i have a wife i have kids etc right kind of the same if you want this service then you need to provide that information but i think what is key is that you have the power to choose i think it will be very dangerous if if you don't have the power to choose whether you want to provide your data or not. I think what we've been seeing the last five years with everything that happened with the social networks is that each person is to be in control on what they share, what and what they want to share and what they don't want to share. If you really want to share your data, then fantastic. But if you don't want to share your data, then I think that should be respected. So if you look at then the individuals and organizations that are maybe running up for the preparation to being able to, to leverage these opportunities of productivity in the sense of generative AI, where do you personally see the biggest opportunities there when it comes to productivity from an organizational perspective? Well, I think there is a lot of improvements that can be done in terms of what I call operations. Operations is that even, even in my own team, believe it or not, 
there is a product that, that Microsoft la launched uh, this year. Uh, we went to public preview two weeks ago, and it's the OpenAI service, Azure OpenAI service. And basically, one thing that you can do is you can train your own chat GPT on your team data. So basically, you, you have a chat GPT trained on, on, the, on the company's data. And right now, for example, if I want to get the sales of a product of, of my team, honestly, the way for me to do it is I, I need to talk to someone. I need to talk to someone. It's like, hey, who knows this? And they're like, oh, this person probably knows this. And then you talk to them and then, and then this person will say, oh, yeah, well, you know, you need to look at this dashboard. You need to look at this file. And then I leave. So that's a process that, I don't know, will take maybe one or two hours. I don't know, whatever, right? It's, it's a boring process, right? Like it's something that nobody likes to do. It's tedious. It's, it's slow. Now, what is a better way? Well, a better way is that you write, give me the give me the sales of X product in the last two months. And then you say, okay, this, like five seconds or 10 seconds. Right? So then you went from two, one, two hours to five seconds. That's a massive, massive productivity boost. And then what do you do with the other extra hour, two hours that you have? Well, that's the challenge, right? Like, because... Every time there is a productivity boost, there are there is job displacement, and I think job displacement is also a, a good a good word. And because what we've seen with automation, with the industrialization in the last couple of centuries, is that we still have jobs, right? Like, I mean, I have a job, you have a job, like all of people have jobs. But the things that you studied five to ten years ago or twenty years ago. They are not the same. Like what I studied in, in my undergrad, many of the things that I studied, they are obsolete right now. So I think one thing that this increase of speed of innovation is creating is that we need to become our long life learners. And I think the best profession that they do this are the, the doctors. Like if you know a person that is a doctor, they are studying all the time because there are new drugs, new treatments happening every day and they need to know the latest treatments, right? So they study all, all their life and they are used to it, right? If you're an engineer like me, generation of my, my, my father, like my uncle that he was an, he's an engineer, he studied something, some, something related to electricity, to mechanics 60 years ago and you know, he, he didn't expect to update that much. Now, if you work in AI, obviously, it's, it's on, you need to update. You need to update almost every day. And I believe that that is going to happen more and more in every profession, right? Like people will need to be able to adopt to new technologies. But I don't think, I think the fear of people is that, oh, now I need to be, to, to have like the expertise of a PhD in computer science. No, that, that's not the case. The, the way I see it is like uh, Excel. And I always put the same example like, like Excel. So Excel uh, appeared in 1985. And before Excel, so imagine if you were an accountant before Excel, right? Then you had to do all these sums, like a hundred sums, like mm -hmm, sums, all yeah. these things, right? And then, you, and then Excel comes and then you can do it in one second. And actually, you know, it's, it's correct, right? Because Excel doesn't make mistakes. And what happened with the guys, with these accountants that said, no, 
I don't like computers. I don't like Excel. I'm not going to, I'm going to, to do my accounts with pen and paper. Well, they probably, they, they had to, to close their, their businesses, right? Because everybody else was using Excel. So I think it's the same. If you're not able to adapt to the era of AI, what is going to happen is like what happened with the accountants that didn't use Excel. You're going to become obsolete. So you need to, like, people need to be prepared to learn new things. I mean, it's a very important consideration. And I do understand why you're forefronting it, because I do think that there is this necessity to acknowledge the change that is happening and that will happen in organizations. I mean, obviously, the productivity example that you've given it illustrates the knowledge management opportunities that really allow you to access knowledge in an organization much quicker. So you've got the productivity gains. But I also think on the other hand, there's a lot of organizational changes that are required to help people understand that it is a little bit more of a lifelong learning growth mindset approach to being able to Power yourself with the help of the organization. And I don't think that that will happen as quick as many think, or do you think it will? I completely agree. I completely agree. I think, uh, unfortunately, most of the time technology goes faster than how people are able to adapt. And yeah, there's going, there's going to be a lot of stress and a lot of class because nowadays all Maybe all organizations, they are promoting this, this idea of, of uh, growth mindset. That, you know, the idea of growth mindset is, is basically that you can learn things. It's not like you are gifted and only a few people are able to understand these concepts. No, it's like you can, you can work and you can learn these concepts with, with time, right? But again, my, my observation of, of the history of, of, of humankind is that for centuries, we improve our, our technology. I believe like humans are, are tool builders, but we are the same human. We are the same human that, that lived 3,000, 6,000 years ago. We still have the, the same passions, the, the same envies, the same capability of do good things and, and bad things. I don't think that, I, I don't, I don't see any evidence that, that changes uh, with time. And, and you see, I mean, you see the news these days and, and, and some play, some things are horrifying and you believe like, oh my goodness, like this is happening right now. I always say that we are monkeys without hair, but, but with big egos, we are still the same. So I believe that, you know, technology is, is, is just a tool that you can take the tool or you can leave it on the table, but I don't think that is going to make us better as as human. What won't make make us better as human? I don't think technology is going to make us better as as human, right? Like it's just going to to make us more efficient, but not not better. Would you want to see a technology that makes us better as humans? Maybe I don't know. Maybe I have a. I read a lot of history. There is one author that I like, Spanish author that I like, and, and he'll say there are always good people. But to, you know, I believe that the, the human, the human race is, is, is very complicated. It's very complicated. I don't think there is any tool that will make 
humanity better. I, I cannot think of any past technology that has made us better humans, more respectful, more, I, I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see anyone. I believe that we, we have improved, we are richer, we, we have more to lose. That maybe that that's a good thing, maybe, right? Like 500 years ago, you know, is maybe what what would I be 500 years ago? Maybe I would be a fighter. Maybe I would be a fighter. I would be a, a soldier, right? Now I'm engineer and I I I fix things. I'm a fixer. I, I prefer to to be born now than 500 years ago, absolutely. But I don't think I don't know exactly if technology has made us better. Yeah, it's an interesting consideration. I mean, there's a lot of uh, avenues of exploration that we could follow there with the use of technology. And with AI, the, the arguments or the considerations always circle around the productivity and efficiency gains and the opportunity to enhance ROI. You know, things that we've spoken about that are very much driven by different desires than maybe intrinsic good elements of who we are as humans. And that also interplays with a lot of the necessities or desires to strive for AGI and what's not possible when we're striving for AGI because of these intrinsics on the other hand of the human nature and the spectrum of, of human nature. So yeah, it's quite an interesting discussion that you could probably have a whole conversation about. Yeah. Our conversation's been very interesting, Miguel. So I'd like to thank you for that today. Is there anything you want to share on a parting note? Yeah, well, I, I think being in the field of AI these days is is probably one of the most exciting places to be right now. I guess if if we were born in the industrial revolution, being seeing the, the steam engine being developed and then later the electrification. Then later the the personal computer or uh, internet is you know probably has been amazing. I think right now we are living an amazing transition, which is the AI revolution, and I believe that being part of this AI revolution is is fantastic. So I'm I'm really I'm really happy, and I guess a lot of the people hearing this podcast are are also part of this revolution and. You know, just a thought on on how uh, amazing this is, and 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 that we are privileged in that sense. Very nice and and thoughtful sort of uh, part in words there, and I'm sure that everyone listening is very interested um, in taking part in the AI revolution and certainly educating themselves about why AI is the new normal, and all of the other um, conversational topics that we've touched upon. So thank you, Miguel, and I'd like to thank everyone else for listening today. If you'd like to learn more about AIML search, then go to the Squirrel Academy at learn.squirrel.com. Thank you. <laughs>